scripture reading today comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you and has been in distress because of your, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. If you will, stay right there in that passage. And if you haven't opened your Bible yet, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Today we're going to cover verses 19 to 30. We've been in Philippians now for quite some time. It's a very small book. It's not a long letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. But we're just taking our time one bite at a time. We're not trying to you know, swallow the whole thing in one week. This is not a jet tour through Philippians. This is a let's walk the path. And, uh, and so there's more nuggets that we can unfold or uncover today, and I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would give you understanding where you need it. Because what one person needs in this text today, someone else needs something different. We're not all in the same place at the same time, are we? And so let's pray that God would use this text and think of yourself. There's times where in a sermon, pa the pastor will say something, and it will cause you to think about others. Man, I'm glad they're here. They need to hear this. <laughs> and, and really try to stay out of other people's backyards today. Let's stay in our own backyard, okay? Because everybody here has junk in their trunk. Amen? Everybody here has junk in the trunk. So I don't need to get in yours and you don't need to get in mine. Let's, let's let the Spirit of God speak to us individually. Well, let me give you a brief overview just to catch up with where we are here in chapter 2. Written, this book was written around 60 AD. Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And he was awaiting trial, but he doesn't know what the outcome will be, whether he will live or die. He has a suspicion that he will live. He has hope that he will live. But while he's been in prison, he has not wasted the opportunity 
He has shared Christ with every guard that has come in. He even says that in the text that he has ministered to the imperial guards, to all of them that come his way. And then later in the letter, he actually says, and I've ministered to the household of Caesar. So even members of the household of Caesar were coming and sitting at his feet, listening as he was teaching the message of the gospel. So Paul doesn't waste time just because things are difficult in life. What a great lesson for us in that alone. There's never, you can never say, well, this is a season when I just need to pull back and not minister, okay? If you're breathing, God gives you opportunities to communicate the gospel to people, amen? There should never be a time that we are, are out of sync or out of pocket, so to speak, okay? So the church in Philippi is concerned with the fact that Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And so because Paul spent so much time in Philippi, that is also where Timothy was at. He was able to take Timothy and they ministered to the church at Philippi. So there's this rich, deep relationship between Paul, Timothy, and Philippi, the church at Philippi. That's why Philippi, the church, writes this letter. And they want to encourage Paul from a distance. So they didn't just want to write him and say, hey, we've got these issues going on. They took the letter that they wrote for him and they gave it to a man in their church named Epaphroditus. And they said, Epaphroditus, go to Paul and let him know, try to comfort him and encourage him with the fact that the church that he's poured so much time into is doing well. Now, there's concerns that they also share with Paul, but primarily we want to encourage him. And so Epaphroditus brings to Paul this report, so to speak, of the church in Philippi. And one of the issues concerning that church in Philippi is that of um, uh, unity, unity that there seems to be some disunity that is finding root in the life of the church. They were displaying attitudes of self-centeredness. And in chapter 1, Paul then in his letter back to them, he, he now begins to address that. And he, he speaks to the fact that, that look, if you will, at how important it is that you carry the right attitude as you are a body of Christ. And he talks about Jesus Christ in chapter 2. He, he uses Jesus as our model. And Jesus is the one who gave up his life in heaven. He came to earth in the form of a man. It says he humbled himself. He put others in front of himself. He considered them more important than himself. And he served us even though he is God. And he uses that example to say to the church in Philippi, okay, you're, you're drifting away from your master, from your Lord. You're drifting away from the model of Christian living, and that would be Jesus himself. And it's time for us to recover. We need to get back to that. So look, if you will, at chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Let's just read this if we can. It, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same, here it is, mind, having the same love, being in full accord. What does that mean? It means being soul brothers and sisters, one soul with one another, and of one mind. Do nothing 
from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Now, that's interesting. Paul didn't say, forget about your interest. Completely forget about you. Just focus on people. Think about their interest. He didn't say that. He said, don't only concern, be concerned yourself with your interest, but also the interest of others. So yeah, you should take care of your own interest, things that you need to do, like you need to work, you need to you know, maintain your life. But at the same time, don't do that at the expense of serving others. Those two go hand in hand. It's a marriage between my interest and other people's interest. I need to be about both of those things. And then he says in verse 4, let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the mind that Paul is calling them to think about and to live is that of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what Paul is doing here in this part of the letter is he's turning the people back to the Lord of glory. He's saying, let's consider the Lord as our example. Here you are, you're starting to show disunity. You're starting to consider your own interest and not the interest of others. You're becoming self-focused. And so I'm going to turn you back to Jesus. I want you to put your eyes on him. And, and, and what did Jesus do? He stooped low. He left heaven for earth. And when he came to earth, he went lower. He was a little baby and an infant. He was completely helpless. And he started out as just a poor carpenter's son. He didn't come to earth as a king. He came to earth as a as a, a servant, and he uses that terminology. This is where we, in following Jesus, should find ourselves. I live as a servant of Jesus Christ. And to be a servant of Christ means I'm also a servant to others, not just to myself. I don't just consider myself. And so in light of this model, in verse 12, he tells them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And just so they didn't misunderstand what he meant by work out your salvation, he actually goes to verse 14 and he gives them the example of it, a how-to. What does he talk about? Grumbling and complaining. That one of the areas that we seem to be self-focused, that reveals our self-focus, and that we're not considering others as more important than ourselves is because we grumble and complain. He, he actually calls that out. He says, don't be like a child who groans and moans just because mom or dad has asked you to take out the garbage. And what happens today in so many cases is mom and dad don't even ask the child to do anything. They don't teach their children responsibility today. That's not a good thing. But even those who do, who will take the time to ask the child to do that, oftentimes the child just belly aches so much, the parent finally just throws their arms up and says, oh, forget it. Go in the other room. I don't want to hear it. I'll just do it myself. Well, that might be an easy way to get rid of the moaning and groaning, but you didn't really help your child. You're not growing your child. And the Bible doesn't teach that method. 
okay? The Bible teaches something totally different. The Bible basically says when you groan and mumble and complain, somebody needs to come to you and say, stop groaning and mumbling and complaining. Do you remember who Jesus Christ is in you? Jesus never exhibited that. That is not who you are in Christ. So it's time to grow up. If we really love people, it's okay sometimes to come alongside them because they know that we love them and because they've given you trust, they've given you uh, respect, they've given you the right to get honest and say, hey, I think you're being childish right now. And I think you ought to grow up in this area. This is an area for you to continue to grow. You got to get to a point where you stop complaining about things that you do. You see, that's, that's helping someone. Now, look at Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 14, the one that we're talking about here. Do, do all things, do, listen now, how many things? Uh, oh, wait, let me ask you again, because I don't think some of you heard. How many things? All things, without what? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, the world, we expect them to grumble and complain. Why? Because they're in darkness. It's a twisted generation. But you, you're in Jesus Christ. No longer do you live. Christ now lives in you. You have the capacity to move beyond grumbling and complaining. You don't have to live there anymore. Amen. And he goes further, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Paul is saying, even if I am giving up my life for your sake, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Paul found joy, which is what the letter is about, right? He found joy, not in circumstances. He found joy on the inside because Christ ruled his heart. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is, favorable or unfavorable. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And I rejoice over that. And even being poured out like a drink offering until I die, which he did die, a martyr's death. But yet Paul still had joy. I, I, I just picture Paul who is about to lose his head on his final hour and there's joy on his face because he knows he is faithful to God. Isn't that wonderful? If you go back in history and look at some of the early church fathers and then you look at the Reformation and you look at how uh, men who stood on truth they would not cave in and give in to the Catholic teachings that were false doctrine. They held the truth of God's word up. I think of John Hus, H-U-S, John Hus. Hus means goose. He was a pastor in, in Prague, a Catholic church, a very large Catholic church. And there he was teaching the people in their native language, the Bible, he was preaching in their, in their tongue. People were so enthusiastic, so excited to hear the word in their native tongue that they could understand because the Catholic Church had demanded you teach in Latin. Well, the people didn't know Latin, and that's why they taught in Latin because they saw the people as the idiots 
The pastor is the one who has the understanding. They didn't want people to have the Bible, but not John Hoos. He said, no, we're going to let them understand it for themselves. His church was so packed that people stood outside the windows looking in and listening to receive the word of God. The Catholic church came knocking, you need to stop it. And then they made an announcement, if you continue to teach that way, we will not let your congregation, when they die, be buried in the cemetery at the church. If you don't stop teaching, and they kept coming at him, he finally said, I'm not going to stop because this is God's word. It's bigger than you. It's more important than you. Finally, they said, well, let's just meet together where we can have debate over this. His friends told him, don't do it. It's a trap. He did it, and it was a trap. And they took John Hoos, and they marched him into the great cathedral with all the priests and everybody there, and they defrocked him. They began to take off his, his priestly robes. They put a crown on his head that he was of the devil. Then they marched him out. They tied him to a stake, and they burned him at the stake. But John Hoos, he had joy while he was tied to the stake. He continued to show the confidence that he had in Christ. They so hated him that after his body was completely disintegrated, there were fragments of bone left at the base of that stake. They took shovels and they scooped up the dirt and they threw the dirt into the lake. They wanted no remembrance of John Hoos whatsoever. But the people of Prague came and they took whatever fragments they could find and they took the dirt and they went back for a proper burial. And out of that group came the Moravians. A hundred years later, it was a man who was a monk who had already begun his, his journey in seeing Jesus Christ as the one true God and no other gods on this earth. And he had believed that Jesus and only Christ could justify us by faith. And he was going through old sermons of other men. And he came upon sermons by John Hoos, who had preached these messages a hundred years earlier. And he was so moved that it caused him to rise up and stand against the Catholic Church. His name was Martin Luther. And he once said of John Hoos, he said, they might have cooked the goose, but his message lives on because it's God's message. And I want to say to you today, church, listen, Paul was poured out as a drink offering. Are we supposed to be less than Paul? Is that how we're to read or interpret this passage, that Paul is better than us and therefore he poured out, but that's not what God's asking of. Are you kidding? Paul didn't share this to point the finger at him as if he's to be lifted up. He shares this because he's telling the church in Philippi, this is your calling as well. We're all called to surrender, to give our all for Christ. And no grumbling and no complaining in the process. That's the goal. That's the goal. 
So now what Paul does next in his letter to the Philippians is very interesting. You would think that he would take them right back to Jesus, who he's already spoken of as the model. He doesn't do that. This is where this becomes interesting. And this is why I titled this message, From Christ, Our Christian Model, We Become Model Christians. He turns it to two men, men just like you and I, who now are walking in the mind of Christ. They are literally doing the stuff that Jesus did. He turns us to that. Philippians chapter 2, if you will. And let's just pick it up, uh, and I want to read for you verse 19. This is our text. We're just now getting to the text. Actually, it's, it's a short text. Okay. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not of those of Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. What men? Epaphroditus and Titus, or Timothy. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So he turns and focuses on two men, and he says, this is the picture of what it looks like to be Christian models, to be like Jesus. And there's three things, three characteristics about these two men that I want to draw out of our text. First, that these men are available. Secondly, that they are attentive. And thirdly, that these men are reliable. These men, you can, they're trustworthy. So let's first of all, if we can, look at, at the availability. When Paul considers sending someone to Philippi, he considers Timothy, which he chooses not to send at that time. He said, I'm considering that, but he chose not to send Timothy. And Epaphroditus, who he did send to carry this letter that you and I are reading today back to the people at Philippi. Verse 19, I hope, look at this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. He's, Timothy is available. Epaphroditus is available. But there's several reasons why they're available. First of all, they are available to the Lord. When you're available to, to serve God, your first service is to the Lord. Would you not agree? Amen? These men were in the Lord. They're saved. And so that makes them available to God first and foremost. 
but they were also available to the Lord's people. I'm hoping to send them to you, the church, a church that's facing some trials right now. There's some disharmony among you. There's some issues of grumbling and complaining among you. I want to send these men to you. They're available to the people. And that's where they end up. They go and they serve. And, they, they, and Timothy does eventually go back to uh, Philippi. And thirdly, uh, they're available to serve me. This is the best thing they can do for me. I can't get to you, but these men are willing to go in my behalf. Because my heart is for Christ, and their heart is for Christ. So when I send them, it's as if I'm there serving you. So when we get our heavenly reward, church, I want you to think about this. It will not be the things that you did where others could see you and could praise you, and you didn't do it with that in mind. That's not why you served. Your rewards in heaven are going to come because you were just faithful. You were willing to be poured out like a drink offering. And in pouring out, being poured out like a drink offering, God used you for the sake of himself. You were serving him. You were serving others. You were serving the leaders of your church, helping them. The leaders of the church at Bureau Bible are a plurality of elders, but the elders can't do all the ministry, and neither does the Bible call them to do that. You, the people, are called in Scripture and Ephesians the ministers. You are to minister to one another. So God benefits because you're living out the, the gifting that he's given you for his purposes by serving others. The people you're serving are benefiting because you're using your gift to edify them, to encourage them, to support and strengthen them. And then you're also coming alongside the leaders of the church to help them to serve the people as they should. I love that about, about this passage. Paul is saying that these men are available, but not only available, these men are also attentive. They're attentive. You can, you can be available and not be useful. You say, how is that? If you make yourself available but don't have a genuine interest in the one or the ones that you're ministering to, God doesn't think you're useful in that situation. He's not looking for people who will just do it with a wrong heart. He's looking for people who will do it with a right heart. Because Why? Because they have a love for people. You can't serve people if you don't like people. You can't serve in the church. It'd be like you saying, well, I love God's church. I just wish there weren't any people involved. Uh, the church is the people. And to be a, serv a servant of Christ is to be like Jesus. Jesus loved people. And he loved the people that were the messed up the most. He loved the despised, the rejected, the outcast. He loved those people. He loved the ones that other people walked away from because they don't look right, they don't smell right, they don't act right, they're not one of us. Jesus never wanted to be one of us. He just loved people, period. He could, rich, he could minister to the rich and to the poor. He, he could minister to those who thought they were righteous by telling them you're not righteous and those who knew they were not righteous by receiving and justifying them in their unrighteousness. 
This is the heart. This is the mind of Jesus. This is the mind of Christ. This is what you signed up for when God saved you, that I would love people. It's amazing to me how easy it is to be untethered from scriptural truth about my identity in Christ and somehow find myself, without even knowing it, attached to worldly belief systems. Christians that come on Sunday but have no relationship, no ministry with others in the church through the whole week. I just show up from week to week and I get what I think I need and then I go home. There's no ministry to God's people. And if you're not ministering to God's people, listen to me. You're not ministering to the Lord. This is how you minister to the Lord, by how you love others. In John, John said, this is how the world will know that that you're saved, by how you love the brethren. Are you involved in helping others? And not just in the community. That's good too. It's good to go out and be benevolent and help others. But are you helping the church that you belong to? Are you engaged in ministering to other people? You say, well, does that mean I need to sign up somewhere on some ministry? No, I'm not talking about that. That is one way you could do it. I'm talking about on your own with nobody seeing. The rewards in heaven, the one you really want is the one that nobody knows about. You just on your own after service, notice because your eyes are looking out instead of in. And you go, I haven't talked to that person in a long time. And you walk over, hey, it's been a long time. How are you doing? I remember when you went through, how are you doing now? And they get a sense of genuineness in your heart for them. They, they get a sense, you really do, or you're asking because you love me. And they open up a little bit. Well, I'll be honest with you, here's where I'm at. What's the next thing? You express to them a response of love, of comfort, of encouragement, and of support. Hey, can we pray right now about that? I'd love to pray with you. And then you follow up in a day or two, or a week, or two weeks. Why? Because you love them. Because you are available for the Lord's use, and more than that, you're attentive. I'm attentive. I'm not just showing attention to you in the moment because I know it's the right thing to do. I'm showing attention to you because I want the same mind that Jesus Christ had when he walked on this earth. And I'm learning what it looks like to love people. And the first and most important place to love people is in the church, loving God's people. There's a reason why in the epistles there are so many one another passages. Every single one another passage is for the church, not for the world. So if you took inventory right now, where would you fit into this? Are you one that, that comes on Sunday and you, you receive, and you say a few words to people that you know, the ones that are familiar to you, and then you leave. You know, it's amazing how easy it is for disunity to find root in the church. 
It can be something as simple as you sitting in the same spot every Sunday, which is like 95% of us, including me, around the same people. And it can give off the impression to others that's your group. You're sitting by people that you know, that you've become familiar with, and others feel shut out. You didn't mean to be in disunity. It's just how Satan uses it, as opposed to moving around a little bit, sitting by different people. Because I didn't come to church for me. I came to church for God. It's about the worship of God. And in worshiping God, he opens doors for me to, to love people. So I'm going to position myself as I come to church to love people. I, I'm just telling you, this idea that church needs to look a certain way and I need to be comfortable with the people I'm with and it's us four and no more and I don't know who you are, I don't know anything about you, but I've got my friends in the church and I'm, I'm good to go. That is not in the Bible. May I remind you in Acts chapter 2 it says that they would gather in homes daily for four things. The apostles' teaching for breaking of bread, prayer, and fellowship. And then it says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So if you think for a second that it was just the same people meeting in the same home, doing the same thing, getting closer with their little four or little six or little eight, you, you're sadly mistaken. That same group that had great love and appreciation for their friends and the connections in the church, that's awesome. But they didn't stop there. They were constantly inviting others to come into it, to experience fellowship, love, prayer, breaking of bread, teaching. This is what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. I love people, and I'm attentive to the needs of others, not just my, myself. He says in verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me with the gospel. Timothy was so connected to Paul that Paul was willing to send Timothy out in his behalf. Well, what's the mark of Timothy that Paul felt so confident in? The way he loved people. He knew that the way I love people is the way Timothy loves people. I'm safe in sending Timothy. Is that how God sees you? The way I love people, I trust Susan, Steve, Mark, whoever. I trust them to love people. And you know what happens to us, and it, it just happens. Uh, who, who understands the pathology of sin, how sin carries us away? But um, we, we start out feeling good about others and feeling good about ourselves, and then something happens in life. Maybe we go through a real hardship, a real heartache. Maybe somebody in the church betrayed us, and it causes us to turn inward. Now we don't trust anybody in the church, and that's a lie. You've, 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 you have bought into a lie from Satan. So you have tried to open the door with 
every person in the church and every person has shut you out? That's not true. You got hurt by somebody or maybe, maybe a group that hurt you and you're projecting that on the whole church. It's amazing how we can turn inward and we can, we can start self-loathing and we close ourselves off to the ministry to the Lord, the ministry to others, and helping this church to move forward. Does that make sense? Let's go to the third thing, and that is dependability, reliability, trustworthiness. He says, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He knows this about Timothy. He is genuinely concerned. He also knew the same about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was feeling the weight of the fact that the people from his home church were burdened over his health. And he wanted to get home so that he could let them know, I'm fine. He truly cared what they thought. And this is Timothy. Now listen to what Paul says in verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He said, I've got two men who seek the interest of Jesus. I know that about them. They are genuinely concerned for your well-being. All the others, it's a little too much self-interest and not enough others' interest. But you know Timothy's proven worth, he says in verse 22. See, Timothy was dependable. The good news is that Timothy is reliable and trustworthy. The bad news is that he stands alone in his reliability and trustworthiness. It should be spoken of the whole church that we're dependable. Amen? We're all available. We're all attentive. We're all reliable. That's what God wants his church to be. Now, will there ever be a time that it's perfect? No, it will not. There will always be somebody clothed in flesh and blood, which we all are, who is relying back on the flesh. And I'm just going to say to you this morning, if you're not willing to reach out to others, it could be because you're wounded. And if you're wounded, you need to get healed. You need to get help to heal up so that you can once again live in the green zone of life, the growth side of life, and start loving other people again. Don't live in your pain. Don't live in your woundedness. Don't live in whoever it was that hurt you. you got to get beyond that at some point. And I'm not saying ignore it. I'm not saying time will heal it. It won't. You've got to get help. Go see a counselor. Go see a pastor. Go see an elder. Go see somebody that you believe is a godly man or woman and seek the Lord for that so that you can heal up because we need you. We need your availability. We need your attentiveness to others. And if you're hurting deeply, you can't focus on others all you can see is your own pain. So get, get healed so that you can get back in the game. Amen? Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. I love that. Epaphroditus is a fellow brother. Paul means that more deeply than just simply a member of the body of Christ. I have done battle with this man. I have gone into the battle with him. I have ministered alongside him. I know him. If I'm in a foxhole, he's the guy I want in the foxhole with me. That's what he's saying. Do you want to be useful for Christ? 
He says, Epaphroditus, the way he showed his usefulness to Christ, his reliability, was he was a fellow worker. And look at this, a fellow soldier. You know what that means, fellow worker and soldier? Fellow worker, he rolled up his sleeves. If you're helping somebody, but you're not willing to roll up your sleeves, you're not really a fellow worker. To be a fellow worker is not only to say, how are you doing, but it's to roll up your sleeves and say, what can I do to help? When we reach out to people, isn't it interesting how easy it is for us to say, I hope you're doing well. Which basically, what we just said was, let me control where this goes. I'm really not interested in helping you. I just want to say something that sounds like the right thing. So it sounds like I'm concerned. I hope you're doing well. But you didn't leave the door open for them to tell you how they're doing. As opposed to saying, how are you doing? Now, they might choose not to be honest. And there's probably reasons, different reasons why people don't at different times. But that's the right question. How are you doing? I'm concerned for you. Now you've opened the door for them to say what they need to say. You've given them permission. You're saying, I really do care. I'm willing to roll up my sleeves for you. I'm willing. Do you know what that does to someone who feels alone in their trial? When someone has an open door for them and says, I really want to know how you're doing. And they start to open up a little bit, but they're a little bit scared. It's interesting the number of people who I'll say, how, how, how are you? Or I'll come up and start talking, and they'll say, Pastor, I, I just want to share this with you. But I know that you're in a hurry. I, I know you've got other things to do. And I find myself saying, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, stop. Listen, I don't. I'm here. Tell me what's going on. Do you know what that does for someone? That's how we, not just a pastor, that's how we should handle one another. Be willing. See, to be, to be reliable is to be willing to roll up your sleeves. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Look, Turn there real quick. Go, just look at it. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always rolled up your sleeves, so now, only as in my presence, not, not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, roll up your sleeves. For it is God who rolls up your sleeves in you, both to will and to roll up your sleeves for his good pleasure. Now, we can laugh about that, but there's truth in that. When God is saying, I want you to consider others, he's not wanting you to just have a brief thought and then move on. He's saying, no, engage. They're important. They're my children. And you're my servant. And you need to be poured out as a drink offering for their sake. There's no way to serve the Lord without a tremendous amount of effort being spent. If you think there is, then you're not really understanding the ministry. The reason many never do anything is because they've never rolled up their sleeves for Christ. Be available. Be attentive. Be dependable. I love this quote from F.B. Meyer, great man of God. In his day, he said this, very simple. Listen to this. I am content to be God's errand boy. I am content to be God's errand boy. 
Let's pray. Father, there's no way for us in our flesh to stir this up in us, to all of a sudden start loving people the way you love people. That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit, and it has to begin by us knowing that we are saved, knowing what you gave up in order for us to be your child, and the deep appreciation that wells up in our heart, the love that we have for you, for your work on the cross in our behalf. And that love wells up in us, and you take that love that's in us, and you start pouring it out on others. So for us not to be concerned means either we're not saved or we are saved, but we're storing up. We've lost, we've forgotten what Jesus, you did for us. And now there's no appreciation Father, I pray that you would make us once again a people that are deeply appreciative of your work, so much so that as that love of God wells up in our hearts of appreciation, that you would take us then and bring us to people who need it, and we would let it out, and we would care for them the way you care for them, and we would love them the way you love them, and they would know that they are important to you. Lord, the church in Philippi received Epaphroditus when he came back with this letter, and this letter ministered to their hearts, and Epaphroditus ministered to their hearts out of a deep love because that man was not only available, not only attentive, but he really did love people, and he was reliable. He was trustworthy. Let that be us. Let that be the heart of Vero Bible Fellowship. And all God's people said, amen. If you're not saved, then this message means nothing to you. I'm not trying to offend you because some of you are going, no, it did mean a lot to me. I just not saved. Well, then you're telling me you want to be saved. And I'm saying to you, God is calling you to salvation. Right now, he's calling you. And to do what this is saying, you, you need to be saved. You can't, you can't do it without being saved. So today is the day of your salvation. We've got prayer partners and elders that are going to be across the front. You come forward and let them know, I want to be saved. The reality is, it happens in your heart immediately. So it's already happened. But they're going to celebrate with you and help you understand what it means to be saved. So I want you to come. Uh, prayer partners and elders, come up front. Prepare yourselves. And those of you in the body who would like to receive the Lord, come. Because he is waiting. He is ready. He has called you. And then there's others of you who are hurting. You are wounded. And you've got people, men and women, can we have another woman come? I, Helen, thank you for coming and helping us, but we need another woman up here. Thank you, Muffy. Appreciate that. And there, there are people who will, who will minister to you. You just come, okay? I think it's important that you know that. This is a church of ministry. This is a church about people and loving people. The rest of you, take time to love one another before you, before you leave. Let's do that. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name.
that this message goes forth, and it's for the glory of your name that we change. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless each of you. Please take time to receive ministry or to minister to others.